Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs and culture podcast. I'm Rosa and tonight I've got Billy, Charlie and Tom here with me. Guys, what was everyone worrying about? We've won two games in a row. We've kept two clean sheets. Everything is looking good. Fortunately, there is absolutely nothing scary on the horizon and especially not next Sunday at 4.30pm. Yeah, we're going to get to that. And we're also going to get in our feelings about our beloved Gareth Bale, who announced his retirement from football today with Billy's rolling in the tweets. First, I want a quick check from you all. Last week, we got quite into it with Enoch and we probably all ended up being slightly Enoch out. We've had a bit of frightening news about whether about Qatar possibly buying some of our clubs. So now I just want to know, given that Enoch in or Enoch out, Charlie, you first. Um, I'm going to stick with my stance from last week. So I don't actually think an awful, awful lot has changed other than Enoch seemingly trying to attract investment in, in a way that would make me love my club less. So they're not doing anything that's particularly uh, making me love them anymore. Um, so I think I'm still out. Although for whom... Christ knows. I think that's the big the big question mark that we could spend several podcasts talking about, right? So for now, I'm just sort of annoyed that Daniel Levy seems to be even entertaining the idea of making it even harder for us to love this godforsaken football club. We just want to love you, Tottenham. Just let us love you. It really should be easy. <laughs> why, why are you like this, Spurs? Why are you like this? Tom, how about you? I, I missed the um, last week's kind of Enoch out episode. And I think I probably would have been the most pro Enoch on there just because I've always looked around the rest of the league. And on the one hand, you've got like a load of clubs that just have these sort of revolving owners and no one's quite sure where the money's coming from. And it's all quite shady. You know, your Southamptons and your Everton's and um, these clubs that are kind of messed around by owners. And then you've got the Petrodollars and you've got Newcastle and City. And I just honestly don't think I could cope with the Newcastle situation happening to Spurs or the Man City situation happening to Spurs. So uh, let's hope it's just a vicious rumour and Qatar end up at some other club because, you know, I yeah, with Enoch, I just generally think better the devil, you know, maybe the best case scenario these days is being owned by a hedge fund who, you know, mess you about a bit and don't invest quite, don't spend as much on players as you want. But there are way worse worse things that could happen, worse owners we could have, I think. Yeah, they're not actively evil, I guess. I think I'm going back. I'm back, Enoch in. I'm sorry. I've come crawling back. I've been frightened. I don't, I just, I don't want to be owned by Qatar. I guess they're only talking about like only, it's like a 25% stake or something, isn't it? That's being kind of rumoured. I don't, I don't want any of it. Um, I want to be gazumped by Liverpool or United Go for them. It's absolutely fine. I think um, as soon as we saw that we were in a race with United and Liverpool, we should probably all just start relaxing. Yeah, we knew it was over, really. That doesn't go. That doesn't tend to go well for Spurs when we're up against anyone of that ilk. Yeah, so that's fine. We shouldn't worry. But Billy, what are your thoughts anyway? Um, I think the worrying thing for me is we don't really get rid of Enoch um, if this happens and then we get Qatar as well. So it's like two, two things which I don't particularly like. So... Um, Enoch out, Qatar out, and I'm just hoping that Gareth Bale might buy us. That'd be good, wouldn't it? He's got, it's, surely he's got plenty of money, plenty of money, um, plenty of time, and you know, definitely lasting affection for Tottenham. I would say. 
There's only so much money you can spend on golf clubs as well, surely. This yeah. is it, yeah. yeah. However, I wonder like if it's like golf course next to the South Sound or something, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to try and become a... We'll probably go on to this, but he's going to try and become a professional golfer, I reckon, right? That seems to me like what he'll try and do now, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine him becoming a pundit. Nah, he can't. I, I think he just can't be bothered. I don't think he's interested in talking to people for any length of time. If we have time, I'll bore everyone with my anecdotes from interviewing him about 25 years ago and how he basically admitted that he doesn't really like football all that much. But um, <laughs> So I think the last thing in the world he'd want to do is uh, go and talk about football or coach football or own a football club. So, yeah, maybe building a sort of little pitch and putt outside the South Stand's the best chance we have, but we shall see. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah, do it, Gareth. Um, okay, so now we've done that, let's get back to our two magnificent victories. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I feel like one of them was at least pretty good. I, th- I think the Palace score, the Palace result, like as far as I was concerned, came out of absolutely nowhere. I talked with Ollie about it before the game, and I was like, what do you think? Are we going to win this one? And he said, I don't think it's going to be a draw. I think it'll be a reassuring victory or a chastening loss. And I was like, chastening loss it is then. Um, Because we hadn't won away in like 10 London derbies, right? Or something really embarrassing. Um, But that one put us back on the map. Right, guys, Charlie? I definitely thought so until uh, Palace sort of meekly surrendered to Southampton, the worst team in the league. Uh, at home in the cup on the weekend, which shouldn't detract from a very, very, very good second half performance, which it was. And we looked much more like our old selves in terms of winning the ball in decent positions, breaking with purpose and looking really threatening. Um, I suppose the less said about the first half, the better, because that was like awful, bad, bad, bad. Like we should have been a good few goals down. Um, The first sort of 10 minutes were pretty good and then after that we just looked like a side that was maybe not playing for its coach or maybe looked like the sort of writing was on the wall for its for its coach and then the second half I don't think anyone in the stadium or watching would have predicted that Tottenham would go and score four goals I think you know we were all chatting about just being at the end of our tether with with players like Brian Hill and he turns in a performance like that in the second half Kane sort of turned into, you know, imperial phase, Harry Kane, where everything he did was just impeccable and, you know, no one on the pitch could get near him. Um, And we suddenly looked like a functioning Antonio Conte team. And I think that was the big thing for me was that we looked like a Conte team again, rather than, I don't know what we've looked like, just sort of nothing of nothing really. But suddenly, once again, we looked like we could sort of hit teams on the counter with a with a ferocity that we had gotten used to so that that was really encouraging and I think you know we're going to need to play like that sort of times 10 if we're going to get anything on the weekend yeah to me it showed that the team just still had some fight in it to be honest I feel like everything we asked for for once we actually got like we wanted Kane to show up and he did we wanted something out of players like Brian Hill. And also we got like a lovely cameo from Saar as as well, which was like an unexpected gift. Like I don't want to get sort of too excited because he's so, he looks so young and I sort of have slight 
Nabil Bentaleb flashbacks where we all got really, really carried away for a season and then it just all kind of fell off a cliff, didn't it? But he looks great and I'm really excited about him. And it just seemed like one of those nights where, aside from everything else, just the rot was stopped, which we desperately, desperately needed. I mean, I was really lucky because I actually missed all, most of the first half. So uh, for once I caught the fun part of it all, but it all just, it did seem to work pretty well. What were your thoughts, Bill? Yeah, man, it just made me realise that sometimes you just need a bit of luck. Like, if you're talking about Gareth Bale today, like, he only really broke into the team. I was like, I saw a quarter got injured and then he sort of sort of forced his way after that terrible run of losses and then he became, like, literally in a flash, like, one of the best players in the world. And, like, we've pretty much written off Brian Hill and he was going to be sold in January. Saar has been strongly linked, like, alone to Italy and all this stuff. And then just, like, in one game, you can luck can just run your way. Brian Hill suddenly becomes, like, does a brilliant performance and now the sort of again sort of going into the Portsmouth game which I know we'll talk about later where he had a pretty good performance again and Saar was outstanding in the Portsmouth game and sometimes that's like all he needs to sort of change the the whole mood of the club um, and I know that you know, that could qu- quickly change um, on um, <clears throat> on the weekend but at the very least what this game has done is it, it's pretty much guaranteed that Brian Hill is not going to be sold in January and I would be surprised now if Saar is not is sold in January as well because um, in the space of a half an appearance versus Palace and a start against Portsmouth, he seemed to pretty much like usurp Ollie Skip in the pecking order. So um, I think just like that little bit of luck. And one, one of the things I noticed in the game in particular is that Harry Kane and in the Portsmouth game as well has suddenly started like trusting Brian Hill and he was like, in the second half in particular, he, he realised that he's actually sort of quite a, a decent little player and was looking for him all the time. And it was that chemistry between Kane and Hill which has sadly just not been there for him and Son as much as we would like it to um, certainly not as much as it has over the last three years it's starting to develop in Hill and Kane and that second goal in particular of Kane's was um, an outstanding goal and such an underrated finish but the pass from Hill as well the little one-two they did was brilliant so yeah so I think it's funny how little tiny moments of luck can have like a massive impact on your season I think um, I'm quite surprised that Brian has was actually fine against Palace as well because I swear to God all of their players are like twice his size and I know that he's talked about that and sort of the physicality of the league being something that he had to get used to it's a real cliche but the way he kind of skipped past them at times took me aback really yeah and there was a, f- a few times in the first half in particular he got like boxed off the ball and um and that was actually a, a thing that I noticed about Star as well because Palace is front free of Zaha. Um, Eze and Elise will give anyone trouble in the Premier League like literally any side they're really physical really fast they've got a lot of technical skill about them and like Skip had a real bit of trouble in that in that first half with them dealing with them and like Saar was like absolutely stood up to Zahar a couple of times knocked him off the ball um, <clears throat> was beating him like for strides and everything so yeah really really good stuff I thought from those two in particular um, and I think like just that one performance has totally changed the face of the, the future for Hill and Zahar to be honest it's um it's lovely to get that sensation that Conte clearly likes Saar and he clearly trusts him and we now have another option in midfield and perhaps a North London derby is you know a game too far for him after you know a, a match and a half playing for Tottenham but I think you know there are definitely games you look down the line in the season perhaps at home against sort of lower table opposition where I would now and again this is ridiculous sort of Tottenham fan getting overexcited but 
I think he's the sort of guy that you could trust to play alongside a Hoybier or a Benson Kerr, as long as he had a more senior partner next to him. You know, and I, I suppose the other thing with him is that he had played a, a fair fair amount of football in France, right, as well. It's not, you know, he's not been sort of summoned from the under-18s, under-21s, and has never played sort of men's football. He has played like a good couple of seasons uh, in Liga, um, where, you know, he obviously made a name for himself. We spent decent money on him. He went back on loan, played pretty much all season in a very difficult campaign by all accounts and acquitted himself reasonably well um and he's a full international you know he's just played in the world cup so hopefully he's not quite as green as perhaps some of our fears that we might be overhyping him you know would would lead us to worry and in fact he's a bit more seasoned than perhaps um you know we're, we're fearing so you're basically telling me to chill out and stop comparing him to Nabil Bensaleb it's all going to be fine well Bensaleb was a weird one right because <laughs> he was just sort of like one of those players that we'd had bobbing around the youth teams for quite a long time but Sherwood sort of liked him and he was like 19 20 he wasn't like sort of 17 18 he'd been around for a bit and then suddenly got plucked out of the under 21 team and and started playing senior football and all of us were like hang on who's this who is this guy so I think yeah I don't think he's a Bennett lab because I think he's played he's more of a Deli Alley which isn't a very reassuring comparison it's not any better <laughs> But just in terms of like, you know, we've, we've plucked him at a very young age from somewhere where he's been playing a ton of football, which should stand him in good stead, at least for the short term. Yeah, I'm I'm convinced. That's fine. Bill? Yeah, and I think like uh, it goes to show like the narrative around Conte and youth players was maybe a little bit misguided um, because there's all these things about, you know, he doesn't want to play any youth players. And um, I know it was brought on by a lot of injuries, which we, we can't ignore. But I, I think Stellini, who... By the way, is an absolutely brilliant talker. I don't know why he doesn't do more of our press conferences, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> he was mentioning like this hierarchy that they have, um, and you have to like, earn your place. And these two players in that game have like earned their place. And I think that's what Conte is like really all about. And like, there's a lot of talk about um, Jed Spence and things, and this sort of idea that Conte is not playing him on purpose to send a message. But I don't. I just. Personally, I just think he doesn't believe that he's ready for it and he's not sort of seeing what he wants to see. Now, we know um, Jed Spence is a hugely talented player and will definitely be a, a great player for Tottenham, I've no doubt. But I just don't think that he fits like what Conte wants players to do at the moment and maybe hopefully he will one day. But I don't think it's a case of like, I'm never going to play a young player just because I don't I want to send this message to Daniel Levy or whatever. Um, I think you just have to earn him, earn his trust. And I think in the space of like two games, Saar and Hill have just, they've taken that next level of Conte and I think they're going to be like useful players for the rest of the season now. Should we talk a little about the sort of Jed Spence culture war that seems to have broken out a bit? And I don't know, like perhaps some of the paranoia that exists amongst our fan base for good reason, because we've had decades of having every good reason to feel paranoid about all sorts of shit. But the Jed Spence situation is driving me slightly insane. Tom and Rosa and Billy, I know we've all got strong feelings, right? It's not just me. It's fully tinfoil, man. The, yeah, the truth is a weird, though, aren't they? Like, the people genuinely think there's some bizarre conspiracy, and I just trust in Conte that if he's not playing, you know, he doesn't rate him in training, then he doesn't deserve to play, and he maybe he does need a loan. He's still really young and relatively inexperienced. But, yeah, at that Portsmouth game... Um, when he came on, the crowd around me were acting like he was the Messiah or something and kind of 
as if they, you know, hold it against Conte that he's not playing. Um, he got a massive cheer, which is nice to see, but it, it, it feeds into this weird, like, conspiracy around him. I think people need to chill about Spence. Yeah, it's super weird. The idea that Conte is deliberately not playing somebody who is really good to make a point to Levy is like, I'm sorry, that's absolutely demented. There's Particularly no- when- Conte is ultra competitive. He's not going to like harm his t- his own team or himself. That's actually actually crazy. And I think part of it as well is is because there's so much vitriol directed at Emerson Royale, which so Spence is kind of getting some of, do you know, it's sort of getting yeah, some of getting that. Some of that. It's like all of the sure. all of the love that people kind of, I guess, want to give to a player. So it's like Emerson, it's pure cultural nonsense, isn't it? It's just like Emerson is terrible. Spence is the future. Emerson gets literally booed for n- no reason. And Spence gets a lot of love for no reason. I really, I also feel like we want to take a moment to just say Emerson Rowell is not a terrible football player. He's a decent football player and he's a human being. And can everybody just stop being really mean to him? Reading the Alistair Gold interview with him. Yeah. uh, Oh, God. Got me. It was really, really heart-wrenching. And it was, it made me feel really disappointed that our fans, and I'm sure none of those people listen to Hometown Glory because of course they don't, but... How how dare people boo Emerson Royale? Like how how dare fans of ours boo someone that contributed like manfully into us getting Champions League football last season? You know, he was pretty much never present in that team and he played some really solid games. You know, he's not doing anything wrong on purpose. He's not like stinking the place out on purpose, or he's not like turning up late for training or disrespecting the coach or the players or the fans. He's just working his socks off playing in a role that is pretty unfamiliar to him. And I'm just like, it's so Arsenal to be booing these, like booing our own players because they're not like a youth player that you've decided is like Cafu incarnate. It's it's insane. Absolutely insane. I'm really, really disappointed. Yeah, man. I mean, everyone knows my feelings on Emerson, but like he's, I think what we need to remember sometimes as well, he's like, he's six months older than Spence and he's in a new country. He's like, you see him on his Instagram where he's like trying to learn English and stuff. He's like always good vibes. Um, he's got something a bit about him which is different to other players. Like he's not like this sort of football robot that goes in, um, gives all your media sound bites and goes. Like he, he's at least trying to make a bit of something of himself. Um, there's that story in summer that he spent like a million pounds being um, on the on personal development and stuff. Like like he's really really trying. Like I know we probably would all accept that he should be sold in January and he probably will be sold in January if we get someone else in. This is probably not the right fit. Um, he's probably not. He probably never was the right fit because he's a a back four right back, and he's not really a back five right back. And he was never bought as a back five right back. Conte came in and changed that. Um, <clears throat> but for, like forgetting all your opinions about his football ability and stuff, he's just like a a young guy that's come over to Tottenham and is trying to be in love with Tottenham um, and trying to win fans over with like a bit of personality. So we should just back this guy, man. He's not, you know. He's probably not going to be here much longer. Um, just like be, let's just be a bit better and get behind him a little bit. I think, um, and, and he's probably going to not be here in January after January anyway, by the looks of the, the gold reports and stuff. And also, do you know what? If you've got to a place where you're just where you are booing some like a twenty-four-year-old dude, like you really just need to check yourself. Like football is not about that, and or at least it shouldn't be. 
My um, mate Linton, who I sit with, had a row with someone quite recently, another Spurs fan who'd um, booed Dyer. I can't remember what game it was now. But like one, like just don't boo your own players. Like, fuck me, there's enough. Uh, that Portsmouth game, there are 8,000 Portsmouth fans to like boo our players. And they were, <laughs> they were booing Kane. Like, don't boo your own players. Um, I was kind of, the Portsmouth game, I was sat um in this sort of singing section i got moved to that southeast corner to this singing section it was only about 15 rows back and like the abuse that emerson was getting was really horrible and embarrassing there was a point where he went down injured briefly and he wasn't that far from where we were at all and fans around me were shouting sub him that this was sort of early into the game and doing the kind of and, and there were a lot of them doing the hand signal, like the sort of turning fingers signal, the sub signal. And I was like, that is so fucking horrible. Like the guy's just there. Like he can sense the bad vibe. He's trying to, you know, he's trying his hardest. I didn't think he had a great game. I don't, I think he should probably move on, but I would never boo our own player. It's horrible. It was awful seeing like him actually respond to the situation because you always hope that players are a bit oblivious to it and they don't hear, you know, pockets of fans booing and certain chants, et cetera. But to hear him acknowledge what's happening and that in a really quite distressing way where he just sounded like he just couldn't quite understand why it was happening, but he would resolve to like sort of double down and work even harder to sort of win people around was just absolutely, <laughs> it's really heartbreaking. And Come on, let's, let's be better. Let's be better. And I think another thing about Emerson that people need to remember is this guy was sold like the biggest dream you could ever have as a footballer, like signing for Barcelona. And it was cut short because of like fiscal irresponsibility of like such a hugely incompetent football outfit of Barcelona. Um, I don't think he even barely even played there. And he was like basically shunted off to us, which I'm sure at the time he probably didn't really want to do because no footballer wants to leave Barcelona. And like he could have come here and like just hate, like stunk up the place of an attitude and all this kind of stuff, um, but he didn't. Like he just came in with a bit of personality. Um, you know, he's trying to assimilate to the culture of you know the, the 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 English culture. He's trying to learn the language. He's trying to get the fans on side with like a little bit of difference, and um, it's not worked out. But you know, it could have been a lot worse. Could have been a lot worse. So I think I think yeah. at this point we should just assure listeners that Billy isn't running Emerson Royale socials and those videos were not Billy's handiwork. Uh, Billy is an independent um, observer of Emerson Royale and is not paid to represent any Emerson Royale views. Just the thinking um, point. We but they were amazing and we missed them. And basically he got, them, he got yeah. bullied out of it. Like this is bullying. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's, it's bullying and it, which I hate and it's hysteria as well. It's like mass hysteria because I'm telling you, if you, this is what happens when people get together and they get kind of taken over by this idea and it just gets and they've whipped themselves up into a frenzy. So, so you get just like whole crowds of people behaving just like children, like not even like children. I think children are nicer than this. It's just hysterical and unacceptable, frankly. And if I were in, I've got two things I would like to do if I were in charge of a football club. One, if you hear, if you get any like weird leaky reports from the dressing room like a like oh the training's getting too intense yada yada like find who that player is and fire them and I also just want any like any fans who boo our players get them out of the ground as well done I feel like it would just make football a much better place so it
And I think also what we need to remember about Emerson Royale is not that long ago, he was laughed off the face of the world for attempting a no-look pass um, against the Premier League team, which I can't exactly remember who it was. Might have been Newcastle, maybe? I think it was Liverpool. Right. It Liverpool. Was against Liverpool. It was yeah. a game against Liverpool. And then, does he give up on his dream? No, he doesn't. A few months later, against a League One team, he does the same again and he pulls it off, which is a great story. Never give up on your dream of completing a no-look pass on TV. It can happen. Anything can happen if you stick with it. And also a sort of pragmatic way to view it in that if it doesn't come off against Liverpool, just set your sights a little bit lower. In a few months, try it again against uh, struggling League One outfit Portsmouth and it might come off. So there you go. Realistic dreams. I think that's the lesson there. And, a, and specifically a lesson to us, which actually kind of leads in quite nicely to talking talking about the FA Cup and how we feel we might do this season. I obviously laugh every year when people say, if we just get a good run, we could really do it. Um, we've we've been handed quite a nice draw, though, haven't we? Preston away. How are we feeling, guys? I mean, I thought, I, I thought it was a nice draw until I remembered feeling that way when we drew Middlesbrough away last year, which was yeah. maybe the worst game of this, like one of the worst games of the season, I seem to remember, just awful. But we, we're different now. We also... We? we might be worse, I'm not sure. We're really not different. <laughs> <laughs> Saturday was kind of quite bleak, bleak. Maybe I was just in a bit of a mood. The weather, like there was a train strike on, it was impossible to get to the game. But I kept looking at my phone and it said it was nine degrees and it felt about two degrees in the ground. It was really damp and horrible. Um, yeah, but I like, you know, we made work of Portsmouth, let's be honest. Like, I thought it would be easy and maybe Kane would break Greaves's record, their 12th in League One. It wasn't the, the greatest match. And I think, um, like, Saar was great. Hill is just so much fun, isn't he? Um, he was he was excellent again. Skip was terrible, uh, and yeah, the fullbacks weren't great. I just had a brief rant while we're doing rants. Um, Rosa doing a kind of uh, if she was running the football club. So I got moved to the singing section, and it didn't really work. I think the return of the shelf Twitter account acknowledged. I think he he or she um, wrote, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So they moved a load of fans to this section. I think it's a noble idea because when the new stadium came, like the kind of ultras, for want of a better word, from the South Stand were kind of, and the shelf were dispersed around the ground. Anything that helps make the atmosphere better is great. But I think Portsmouth was maybe the wrong game to do it in because there were so many families there. But while we're talking about chance, right, I'm not a, I'm not like puritanical about football. I go to games, I sing, I swear. I feel bad for swearing when I look at like five-year-olds next to me and I, you know, I have beers. But I just would love us to retire the Soul Campbell songs and also the Arsenal fan on a string, right? So I was in this singing section, kids all around, people at their first games. I looked at when we sung our first song about Kane and it was 23 minutes into the game. And I think that was the first song we did about a player. Maybe there was one other. But instead we're doing these negative songs about Sol Campbell and this, this archaic song about an Arsenal fan on a string it, that doesn't even make sense. Uh, it's such an absurd, just horrible chant that. Uh, and they don't serve to encourage the team that are on the pitch, like a few metres from us. Like, what if you're like some 
uh, young player who's just, or, or young fan, you're like, what the fuck are these Sol Campbell songs about? Why aren't they singing about current players and the exciting, amazing players we currently have? Anyway, that's my rant, because I do think, like, let's just fucking get rid of those songs and sing something positive that encourages the team that are playing. I don't know. Yeah, and I think I just wanted to say, like, shout out to um, Return of the Shelf for, like, giving it a go and, and trying to actually do something about it, because I think the stadium atmosphere has it's been... Hit and miss. Um, I've always thought about Tottenham. If the playing, if the play the stuff on the pitch is good, the atmosphere is good. Generally, I still think that's generally true. Uh, if we play good football and stuff, and it's a big game, the atmosphere is decent at the new ground. If it's not, then it's not. But the same is pretty much true at what the old work on in as well. Yeah. Um, but it needs to be better. And I just wanted to say, I know that it might not have like I know they were li- from the the tweets after the game that they were saying they might have been a little bit disappointed with how it turned out. But you just got to start somewhere. At least it's like in dialogue with the club. Um, it's an official thing that the club are getting behind. So um, it's hopefully just a very, very, very first step into making the atmosphere better for everyone. It's like um, the flags, right? I mean, the exactly. flags have grown, you know, organically and people have gotten engaged with it and people like it. Yeah, sort of small acorns and all that. But flags I, Tom, I, I completely agree. Like the Sol Campbell thing particularly, I just think, I don't want to have to like take my kids and have to explain to them that situation. And I'm just of the mind that like, why are we still giving him the satisfaction of like us sounding so mad and pissed off about that? It happened years ago. Like the best thing you can do about characters like that is just ignore them and act and, you know, rise above it. Don't give him the satisfaction. It just makes us look petty and small time in my opinion. When, yeah, like you say, Tom, we're waiting like half an hour basically before we sing the name of a guy that's about to break our all-time goal scoring record that needs our support because he's got sort of 9,000 Portsmouth fans like telling him he's let his country down. Like our priorities seem to be a bit skewed. Totally. Yeah, this should have been the thing, isn't it? I feel like we should have reacted, I guess, to Portsmouth fans abusing Kane with like, I mean, that's what, that's actually what we've done really well about Kane. We've always, always defended him. So at the very least, we should have done that. I mean, the big problem is, unfortunately, is like those really terrible chants are also really catchy, aren't they? They get they get stuck in your head for fucking days. <laughs> Why does evil win? God damn it. Yeah, and I think I'm um, just going back to that point and going back to your original question that um, kicked this whole thing off. Like, it was, like uh, the Portsmouth fans are pretty impressive, but I just love about the FA Cup when you get like the, the bigger allocations um, and away day. I think they had like they had like three tiers, didn't they? And it was amazing. I remember when we went to Southampton away a couple of years ago. I think we drew two or one all. Um, we had like five thousand Tottenham fans there, and it was amazing. So I'm looking forward to the to hopefully. I, I know that Preston is not the biggest ground, but I think. We'll get like an extended allocation and I think it'll be really, really decent. But um, I think one of the interesting things about the draw is, is already, is it like by the next round, there'll be at least nine Premier League teams out of the cup, um, at least, um, or something like that. I think it might be 11, there's going to be at least 11 teams out or something like that, I think, um, because of all the uh, the all Premier League ties and the fact that a lot of them are already out already, you know, it's a, it's a pretty decent chance of even if we beat Preston we shouldn't we should avoid a Premier League club again because there's going to be no more non-Premier League clubs than Premier League clubs in the next round whatever happens um, and I think it's amazing that Man City have got Arsenal and um, Chelsea are already out Liverpool have got two really tough away games to beat to win to even get through they've got Wolves away which they should like that you could do a podcast on that in itself that game that was a disgrace that decision and then they've got Brighton away if they win that 
Um, so they could be out, Newcastle are out. So I would just absolutely love us to go all out. But how many times have we say this over the last few years? We love, you know, we've got a great chance if we go for it, and then we end up losing to like Middlesbrough or Bristol Palace away or something like that, like we did under Pot. So um, I think, we, um, again, it's a really good chance to win something for us, but let's just hope that we actually go for it this time. I do Can't think we wait should for another our... semi final heartbreak. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think we should probably prepare ourselves for Pep to play a load of 15 year olds against Arsenal yeah. with squad numbers in the 90s because he is absolutely like not going to be playing a particularly strong team in that one, I should imagine. Um, however, yeah, it's like what, what could be more fun than a cut run? It'd be really interesting to see how. You know, assuming we are still at least on the sort of coattails of the top four by the end of Jan, going into Feb, we've got the Champions League, etc. Like, say we beat Milan and we're still in the cup. Does Conte start taking the cup seriously or do we start seeing, you know, some B teams and we don't take it seriously? Obviously, all of us would absolutely love to to win the cup. It's just that sort of age-old Tottenham Hotspur conundrum, like, like, Ultimately, it comes down to a point in the season where pretty much every single coach we've ever had has to make a call between do I prioritise this infernal chase for the top four that we are caught in for the rest of our godforsaken lives? Or do we go, do you know what? I'll play, I'll rest some of these guys in the Premier League game because we've got an FA Cup quarterfinal or whatever. It'd be really interesting to see if we get in that position again. Slash, probably we know what will happen. <laughs> My new dream, which I was actually thinking about last night, is that because Harry Kane scored against Portsmouth, I just hope he goes on like a messy World Cup run of like scoring in every single round and then uh, scoring in the final to win us. That is my new um, thing that I'm manifesting into the universe just because he got the goal in the first in the first time that we played in the FA Cup this season. Just imagine if he went on like that messy World Cup run of just like man and match every single game, wins us a trophy finally and gets us over the line. So that's what I'm hoping for now. Surely well, that I would be in tears. I I'd mean, be in he, absolute tears. Like you, you would hope that he's motivated to win something at Tottenham every season, but surely now, like after the World Cup and that penalty and everything else, and the fact that no one knows what he's going to do in the summer, and this might be, you know, his last real chance at it with us until he comes back at sort of 32, 33, or sort of bail style, I'm sure. But um, like he must just be looking at the FA Cup, Harry Kane, and be thinking, like, maybe this is my sort of Argos, Messi at the World Cup, <laughs> like Billy says, and I will sort of single-handedly take England there, sorry, take Spurs there and leave this wretched club with something if I if it kills me. Maybe, maybe not. Semi-final it is. Yeah, I reckon he's looking at the Champions League, you know. Oh, I like your boldness, Rosa. Yeah, I mean, it's not like, I, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do feel like that's it like you know we we can manifest we would manifest the FA Cup but I feel like Kane has like a vision board and the Champions League is in the middle of it I think the problem I think the problem is like he's he's at like he's doing we're just like gonna we're gonna end up running to the ground because like he um that Crystal Palace game was almost like he actually realized himself I'm the best player on this pitch and I'm gonna now Mm. just I'm just going to do it in the like second half just because I can. And then he's done it again in the FA Cup. It's like, it's only, so, I mean, I, I say that he can't keep doing it, but he has been doing it for the last seven years. And I think I saw some stat the other day. I think he started, he started like 58 Premier League games in a row, which is oh, mental God. considering his injury, um, his injury troubles in the past. But like, maybe this is just a season where he just like Michael Jordan's us to like FA Cup, Champions League and so forth. So let's go for it. I'm sure we'll, um, 
get on to injuries, but it is just mad that we had to start our only three fit forwards in that in that Portsmouth game, and that you know that is a game you'd be hoping that Kane could have uh, rested, uh, had a rest in, but um, yeah, clearly not. And at least he's now one closer to that Greaves record with uh, a game coming up that he loves scoring in. Uh, is it time? It's, let's do it. Okay, let's take a quick poll, actually, because I'm quite... Suddenly, I'm just into that now. Just rapid response. Is he going to break the record against Arsenal, do we think? Tom? I feel like he's going to equal the record. He's going to get one. All right, I'll take it. Bill? Yes, he's going to break it. He's going to get a penalty. Okay. Score that, and then he'll score another goal as well. Oh, my God, a penalty. <sighs> God, my, I'm, actually, I'm actually having a panic attack thinking about it Charlie he's going to score a hat trick he's going to equal overtake and then like obliterate the record all in 90 minutes okay, I, don't, actually, I don't know yeah. if I believe it yeah. <laughs> like we were messaging earlier I yeah yeah I'm just going to say this actually I'm I'm absolutely devastated well I'm 95% devastated 5% relieved I can't go on Sunday because I'm taking my eldest daughter to go and see Frozen the musical and I mess yeah I wasn't paying attention my brother booked the tickets and I just wasn't looking at dates um and so that is happening instead there is obviously a part of me that's really relieved I'm not going to be witnessing it but Billy your hand is up are you feeling just super psyched do you know what? I'm not particularly psyched, but talking okay. of <laughs> and injuries, Saka has just like hobbled off injured against Oxford. So um, oh, he, he always does this. He, he, he loves a fake hobble off. He's been Saka. substituted. And if he doesn't play, then I think we'll win um, because he has been the best player this season. So, yeah, I, I'm not like, I don't know. I'm like last season, I genuinely thought that we were going to win it. This season, I think it could go either way, but. I just, it's going to have to be like one of those games where everything absolutely clicks and we aren't going to win it if Kudasovsky and Benton Co aren't playing. But if they are, then we can. I think that's the thing, right? We we have to have the two Juve lads in the starting lineup, and then also hope that Benton Co in particular is sort of match fit and not rusty, which is another big ask when you consider how intense the game is. The fact that there'll be sort of two versus three in midfield, which is tough for anyone we play in central midfield in any match, let alone against this team. So th- those guys have to play. Richarlison would be an amazing sort of bench situation if you could put him on the bench as a sort of agent of chaos to give him a bit of a scare, maybe with 15 minutes to go, that would be incredible. But those two, are, yeah, I'm with Bill. Unless they both of them start, I just can't. Maybe we'd snatch a draw or something, but I can't see us with enough quality on the ball in either midfield or in the final third to create enough chances to, to win the game for me. Benton calls the one, isn't he? Because if he doesn't start, there's kind of no point him being on the bench, right? Where Kulu, I could see Kulu being on the bench and kind of coming on for half an hour, replacing Hill or Son. Um, but yeah, Benton Kaur starting would be absolutely so, so massive, wouldn't it? Like, Particularly when, you know, you'd be looking at then... Bissouma, who's been really all over the place. Like one minute he can look like his Brighton self, the next minute he looks back to being devoid of all confidence and taking heavy touches and all the rest of it. And even he's got a knock because he missed um, he missed the Portsmouth game, right? So he might not even be 100%. So perhaps, despite what I said earlier, we are looking at 
at Pape Sar starting a North London derby with Hoybier, who also looks a bit ropey as well. And I feel bad for saying that. On sentiment, I am glad Pierre finally got a game off um, against Portsmouth. And I did worry after that first half that he was going to have to come on. We had so few kind mm. of game changers on the bench that I thought, oh, Hoybier, the adult's going to have to come on and kind of sort them out. Um, but yeah, thank God he finally got a game off because he gets so few games uh, rest, old Pierre. And I think the good thing about Hoybier is the when he does finally get a rest, he always seems to come back looking pretty recharged. It's like, you know, when you remember to charge the iPad before you go on a big car trip or something and you're like, oh, amazing. Right, this We're sorted now. The whole car journey is going to be fine. We're not running on 2% battery. The kids aren't going to be bored and shouting and crying. It's okay. He's like that. And I think hopefully having, what, 10 days off because the Palace game is midweek, like that should be a nice rest. He also won uh, Danish Player of the Year as well. So hopefully he's got a bit of a spring in his step from that. Yeah, man, I feel I saw a lot of people after that sort of saw a couple of performances saying um, they would maybe go for Bentenkler and Saar, but this is a game where you just want last season, Hoybier and Bentenkler together, um, just just bossing around the pitch like they did in the last North London derby. And like, we don't, like, I love Saar. I think he's really going to have a great future for us, but you just want your trusted, trusted guys for this one. So I just really hope Benton comes back and I hope we get like last season, Hoybier, Benton Clare resurgence. I'm really yeah, we need the grown-ups to, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited to see Saar with one of the grown-ups at some point, mm. either Pierre or Benton Clare, because... Um, he was brilliant against Pompey and he was playing next to Skip, who was having a nightmare. Um, but yeah, Arsenal's not the one for that experiment, is it? No. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because so now we've got the Danish player of the year and the Swedish player of the year, right? Just who the Ireland, we'd have the set. Yeah, oh, I was about to say who's the Norwegian player <laughs> of the year, but of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> not getting know, him. It's probably Odegaard, actually, just to be annoying. <laughs> oh, I just, I refuse to believe it. Um, we also have the uh, young African player of the year in Papsar, so there you go. We do. Oh, and we've yeah. got officially, like, the world's greatest midfielder in Bentoncourt as well, according to that, like, mad Twitter graph you mentioned the other day, Bill. I saw, yeah, and I saw a, a one similar for Sar actually, where they were saying... um there was this really good comparison graph of him next to Kamavinga and Bellingham. And he has his, his last season with Mets was as good statistically as those two. Um, and also I saw some a Ghanaian fan um, who was saying that um, Pape Matasar, the, the, it's pronounced Pap, apparently. Um, so there you go. That's something oh. I learned. It's apparently it's Papsar, not Papesar, which is interesting. But I've never, I've never really heard him like, in himself say that but that's what uh, someone on Twitter was saying anyway so I also noticed that on telly they've dropped the matter bit it's just Pap Sar they seem to list him as rather than his full name it's not very interesting I know but either way he's a man man for the future we're excited about him I guess it's quite nice having this chat actually because I'm genuinely just sick to my stomach thinking about Sunday but it's not you know it's not going to be the end of the world if we lose, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's going to feel bad. <laughs> it's going to be and awful, I, actually, for I ages, to, yeah. Can I come to Frozen the Musical with you? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> like, it's all right, it'll be it's all right then, because we've got, we've, got Man, we've got Man City like four days later, haven't we? So that's twice, what. twice. <laughs> yeah, but these games are going to be nice because we don't care about those, right? So 
That'd be quite relaxing. Relatively. We might if, we, we we, might if we've just yeah. lost and we need the points. So I suppose, but yeah, maybe greater good kicks in. I, so, I yeah. don't think I don't think we're going to lose. I'm going to be positive here. I think that much it's basically an evening game, which I think is massively in our favour. It's not one of these ridiculous like 12, 12.30 kickoffs where even a North London derby can feel like a bit sort of slow to start and you're playing in, you know, daylight and it everyone's a bit hungover and a bit whatever. This is a 4.30 kickoff in January. It's going to be pitch black, floodlights up, everyone's had all day to sort of, you know, do whatever it is they want to do before a North London derby. The fans should hopefully be, you know, the, the atmosphere should be electric and very, very similar to last season, where also, lest we forget, that was similarly terrifying, right? You know, we were in a situation where Arsenal just had to win to clinch fourth over us, like in our stadium. It would have been awful, 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 awful. And, you know, we stood up, we made ourselves known, we pulled off the result and Arsenal crumbled. This, you know, isn't, this is sort of that situation, but on steroids and that they're now, you know, five points clear in the league and we're struggling a bit. But I think I think the players will rise to it. I really do. I mean, like I said, I really, really, really think that having both those Juve lads back is imperative if we are going to do anything. But, you know, I think we've got players that will stand up. I think Kane, you know, looks like he's just on a different planet in terms of how he's playing right now. Sonny maybe is kind of half back. He did score and, you know, there were signs in that Palace game that he's sort of flickering back into life. Maybe this is a game he can lose his mask. I mean, it was really interesting, right, seeing him talk about the mask and say, I can't see properly with, with this thing on. And perhaps he's making an excuse for his terrible form, but, you know. He clearly hates it. He clearly hates it. He's yeah. chucked it to the ground twice now in consecutive mm-hmm. games. So, um and he does love playing against Arsenal, you know, like these, we do have experienced players that, um, you know, are used to this fixture. Love a and, big game, yeah. Yeah, so I just really, really hope. And also, as you know, we've been kind of keeping our fingers crossed, hoping against hope. Perhaps this is a game where Arsenal really feel the pressure, you know, so far. They've not really had a proper sort of crunch fixture against a big rival. Obviously, we refuse to acknowledge Chelsea as a big Arsenal rival. That game at Stamford Bridge was not, a tense derby for them whatsoever. Chelsea are awful. You know, this is as this is as like stressful as it's going to get for them, you know, until the latter stages of the season. So maybe they crumble, maybe. I think the other thing is that with the North London derby, like home advantage is fucking massive. It's big, it's bigger than it seems to be in any other game. Like it doesn't seem to matter. We're terrible at theirs. And they're usually awful at ours. Yeah, I think like, Tim Sherwood was, Tim Sherwood was coaching there. us last time they beat us at home. Like, it's it's yeah. gone with the home team, like the, what, the last four or five derbies at least, hasn't it? Like, I, don't, yeah. I think it's gone, whoever's just been at home has won. Every, Basically, like, like, there was that last, one, they nearly beat like, us at Wembley yeah. with mm. the missed penalty. But that's it. He missed it, like Aubameyang missed the penalty. That's the pressure, yeah. right? I think it just so, literally just goes with whoever's at home normally. Like, yeah. I mean, There's been a, a couple of draws in there, but none of them have won away for, for ages, so... So surely, surely, surely. Okay, moving on from that onto a man who rarely let us down in a North London derby, actually. Uh, Gareth Bale announced his retirement from football today. Um, Just, and the whole of like the Spurs Twitter verse was just flooded with memories, really, wasn't it? I think we all took a moment to be like, oh God, what a man he was for us. And so we have got some rolling in the tweets 
Bill, do you want to take the lead? Yeah, I will. I just thought it's important to shout out some other legends that retired today as well. Hugo Lloris, um, retired from international football, and Steve Bruce, retired from management. So important to clarify that it was not just Gareth Bale that retired today. Uh, so we said we're recording tonight, and so it's a special one in the tweets, a Bale special. Give us your favourite Gaz memories. Um, obviously, the first one came up. Nick Riley said the 4-3 into game 2010. Mike was never quite the same after that. I think, like... It's like one of the probably like top five collective moments in Tottenham's modern history, isn't it? Like just for everyone, that that two games against Inter, that was like the, the game that he sort of came alive. Um, <clears throat> Javi Fuego says, unstoppable last season at the lane. West Ham winner was the cherry on top. Um, Koizmeister says the goal against West Ham, what a moment. Um, now, this is one that I remember because this is when we were all like pretty much, this is when I think it was, it's, it's sort of a memory that I associate with you guys is when, um, when he came back, like as the goal confirming that Spurs were trying to get him back, and I just remember like our collective group chats was going absolutely berserk, and like the hype when he came back was like really, really special. And it's a shame it kind of got um, cut short with COVID, and we didn't get to see him and all that kind of stuff. But it was just a really special feeling, um, and certainly not a sort of transfer that we get that often in our history. So yeah, um, that whole hype being a really miserable year, yes. like it was a that rare was... bit of joy, wasn't it? It was I can, that week I can, was I... so fun. I was driving home to my mum and dad's and I had to pull over because it was just a sort of a, I remember Tottenham, they changed their bios like a home. And then I pulled over and was like waiting in my car on the side of the road for like an hour, like taking an everything. <laughs> it was just, it was crazy. Uh, Matt Jones says the Matt, the West Ham winner, of course, also Newcastle at home when Holtby was subbed off. I think it was his debut. And Bayon moved into the middle and ruined Newcastle. Uh, that he plays on the left chance were never heard again. I, I remember those chances that we the, the Harry Redknapp manager, he plays on the left and then he became like one of the best sort of attacking midfielders in world football. Um, would imagine not many people remember this, but his preseason goal against LA Galaxy in 2012, says Toby. First time I got to see him in Spurs live. Um, Wes Johnson says, because the main ones will be chosen, a bit niche, Spurs 3-1 City towards the end of the 2012-13 season. The outside of the boot pass to Dempsey, the lovely dink over Joe Hart and 3-1 at the old lane. The atmosphere that was, was amazing. By the way, that was like low-key. I mean, that season ended, you know, the way they always ended at that point in time. But that the the atmosphere at the lane that day was just like off the scale. Like to be, we were 1-0 down, weren't we? And that Dempsey goal was the equaliser. Bales Defoe was, scored as well, didn't he? Was it yeah, Defoe? I think Defoe yeah. did, was, I can't remember if Defoe's was the one to put us in the lead or Bales was, but... Just the last when we were dreadful, like for most of the game, in the last fifteen minutes, we just came alive and took them took them apart. It was amazing. Didn't Huddleston come on and have an amazing game? I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. That's my yeah. memory of just being like, Defoe "Oh my god, this amazing midfielder!" And obviously yeah. that didn't happen. But Defoe and Huddleston came on and and changed the game. Yeah, amazing. And that yeah, that pass for Dempsey. That's a really great shout. Just outside of the left boot. Oh, oh. I love the way he says, because the main ones will be chosen. That one has actually been chosen quite a few times because that's the kind of podcast <laughs> that we are. Um, Lewis says, the pair of free kicks against Neon, the run and dink finish against Norwich. Um, particularly, I remember that. I'm sure that was a Christmas game. So I remember watching that with my granddad at Christmas. I really, really have a vivid memory of that. Um, Simon says, remember when Harry tried to offload into Forest or Birmingham? Um, and to that, I'll say, are you really a Spurs legend if you weren't at least trying to be sold at at least one point in your time at Tottenham? <laughs> um, Sam Sheard says, both goals, the second classic bail um, in a 2 0 win at Carrow Road in 11 12. Maybe we believe that we might be in the title race. Was that the kind of 
I think that was the sort of build up to the Defoe Etihad season, wasn't it? When we sort of got heartbroken a few months later. If I remember rightly, when we like Bale and Lennon on either side, we were brilliant. That brilliant, mm. brilliant, brilliant to watch. Um, George Lacey says, was pitch side for his son, Sarah Hattie. A star was born. Um, a niche one here, which I don't actually remember. Oh no, of course I do, because it was it was it was a recent one. Uh, when Bale scored a Brent against Leicester, four two, last game of a pretty miserable season. And um, yeah, that was in a second spell, wasn't it? Um, Ollie says West Brom away has always stuck in my mind. We laboured all afternoon before late on in customary style. He slapped it in 25 yards, AVB ball. Um, and that was pretty much true of almost every single game that season, wasn't it? I think there was a few like the Southampton, Sunderland one, which were pretty much in consecutive weeks. Um, as Tom says, uh, Tom Haywood, friend of the show, says his goal against City when he came on for Heinen scored three in about 11 minutes. So great and dramatic that my mate didn't know what to do, so he ran away. <laughs> Classic. Um, Al Gibson says, unbelievable that we didn't get a win in his first 24 appearances. One of the most exciting players we've ever had, though. Um, and again, it's when we talk about like the the sort of the youngsters that are coming through and they've had not had many chances or whatever. Gareth Bale was like the ultimate example of that. So it's never, never too never write off these young players before you see what they're going to do. Um, now, this is actually my one as well. Ali Campbell says, um, both goals away at Stoke. Because th- to, to my mind, that's the best goal I've ever seen live. Um, the brilliant volley that always gets replayed and the far superior one that just went in off his face. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, maybe Charlie Adam got sent off that game. So I was there, but I, I've been there at Stoke a couple of times and Charlie Adam got sent off in one. <laughs> but um, that I think that's the best goal I've ever seen live. Um Caroline says, since I'm a more recent Spurs fan, I missed Bale's first stint, but was so glad to be around him for his loan return. The brace he scored against Leicester and the last day of the season is one of my most joyful Spurs moments. We'll always regret how little he played that season. Don't we all, Caroline? Don't we all? Um, but again, that's a podcast in itself. Um, scoring a brilliant free kick at Liverpool, then scoring an own goal that went in straight off his face. Um, and Caroline says again, as for a non-Spurs memory, seeing him go full Gareth Bale mode in the MLS final. I saw someone tweeted that today, actually, that video where he scores in the 96th minute, uh, like a bullet head up. Um, hardly ever watch MLS, but there was no way I was going to miss that. Um, Mega Pitt says, definitely the West Ham winner. Who is that pre says, got to be keeping us in the Europa League of two free kicks against Leon. Nahir says, his winner away to West Brom when Lewis Holtby made his seat. Lewis Holtby always getting a shout out on this podcast. Made what was dull. We've got to get him on, haven't we? We have to get him on. He plays like Blackburn or something. He plays in like League Two of Germany now, doesn't he? Or something like that. He'll he'll come on. He'll come on. Uh, Sean says, have to put two here. First and a 2-1 win against Chelsea. And that was another one that's been in a, a lot of mention recently just because it was like after that... Uh, Portsmouth loss that we had, and then we went and beat Arsenal and Chelsea in the, in, the, in the week after. I remember watching that one as well. That was an amazing Bale performance. I thought we absolutely ran John Terry ragged in that game. Uh, Bale and Defoe scored, but Bale terrorised them and could have easily had three or four. Um, TJMOT says, when we beat Newcastle at home towards the end of that season, being told, enjoy this while it is here as the Madrid rumours built up. We knew what we were in greatness. Then Leah at home in the 90th minute. I just knew that free kick was going in too. Um, we had that awe about him. Uh, Sean again says an individual moment for me the late winner versus West Ham to see someone so determined to win a game single-handedly was beautiful uh, Cody says I mean he's arguably scored the arguably greatest goal in the history of the sport it's a shame it wasn't for Spurs I'm sure we all know what goal he's talking about there uh, Jamie says discuss um, uh, JFT says easily this goal against the scum and the celebration times has run to perfection I even thought he was miles offside when he bagged it proper coys now there is an amazing video on YouTube, if you ever get the chance to check it out, of a Spurs fan who's filming the celebration of 
uh, Aaron Lennon, who scored, the, I think it was, whoever scored the first goal out of them too. And then as he's filming that celebration, we go through again, it goes in again, and the, the South Sand just goes into absolute pandemonium, that nice 2-0 win that we had there. And finally, uh, Dave says, the one where he murdered Rio Ferdinand at Old Trafford, I was sat in the home end. It's almost the fact that United fans were so confident they would sign him and he came back to us. Um, so, yeah, some amazing memories. Um, what about you guys? What's your favourite ones? I'm surprised there wasn't too many Arsenal ones in there. Perhaps Arsenal on my brain, but I always think about the first goal that he scored in our comeback win at the Emirates, our only win at the Emirates. Um which is a really lovely goal. I think Defoe wins a header on the halfway line against a giant centre-back that he had no business winning. Then Van der Vaart does a lovely little chest down and a little sort of toe flick to put Bale in. And he then sort of runs through and plays the most delicate little finish past, um, I don't know, if, I can't remember if Salmonia or Chesney, but um, I think it's Salmonia. And the ball's rolling and we go and win 3-2. I think that just... That poise he had in front of goal, I think we all, everyone always talks about his explosiveness and his long-range shooting, but he was so good. And I think we saw this when he came back for the loan, you know, when his legs had gone and he wasn't really taking as many shots from outside the box, etc. But if if he was in the if he was in the box and he had a half a yard, his shooting was so ridiculously accurate, and he was just like just nailed on hit score if he was even had half a look and. That I just adored about him, I think, makes him probably the greatest British player of all time, maybe. That's maybe another debate for another time, but um, just an extraordinary player. Quickly, do you want to know, uh, I'm harking back to my, <laughs> my interview. I asked him at the time, this is back in 2014, but I asked him what his favourite goal that he scored for Spurs was. Can anyone guess what goal Gareth Bale said was his favourite goal that he ever scored for Spurs in his first run? I'm going to go just because it didn't come up. They scored an absolutely brilliant goal against QPR that I absolutely love. I don't know if anyone remembers that goal, just because it's a niche one that no one mentioned. I don't remember that goal. It, it wasn't that. No, Bill, it wasn't that. Tom, Rose, any guesses? I do feel like the West Ham one is his best goal, but I feel like you're not going to say that that's what it was. I'm not going to say that's what it was. He said <laughs> he said something different. Um, <laughs> that probably is his best goal, I reckon, in terms I of just, like... So the, delirious. The moment and yeah. Just the improbability of like getting it into that part of the goal from where yeah. he just and the and the Tom Carroll assist doesn't really count does... as an assist because he didn't do any of the work. Let's be honest. Tom, <laughs> so any guesses? No, tell us. Come on. It was a goal that he scored at the Liberty Stadium in a Swansea one Tottenham Hotspur two Premier League win in March 2013. So. It's the 20th minute. Spurs are already one goal ahead. Um, Bale receives a sharp reverse pass from Jan Vertonghen just outside the area. He takes one touch with his right foot before expertly slicing the ball into the bottom left corner with the outside of his left boot. Bale says, I know it's weird, but my favourite goal for Spurs is actually this one away at Swansea. It was a snapshot and something I've been trying and training for a while. When it's something you've been working on and it comes off, you're extra pleased with the goal. People talk about Jan's assist with this one and it was a beautiful pass, but I had set him up 10 minutes earlier, so he owed me. Um, he says all that, but he's just a massive Cardiff fan as well, isn't he? So that's obviously, yeah. that, that is obviously why it is as well. I love that he's gone for that explanation. I love um, that he gave that to you in the interview as well, because you were like, oh, an assist from Jan Vertonghen, you say. It's just like the dream. Just, yeah, sort of make a wish stuff for me. It was amazing. Just um, absolutely perfect. I also, I personally love that he picked a goal from the AVB era, because while the football was not great, 
that man, both those guys are just very, very dear to my heart and always will be. And I loved that season. And when I was thinking about my favorite goals, I think, or my favorite moments, the West Ham goal is amazing. But I did love the win over Arsenal that season as well because I was I was there for that one. And it's always mm. nice to pick one where you actually. I don't really remember a lot of that day because I don't remember a lot about North London derbies because they're so frenzied and sort of panic inducing. But I'd like, I, I know that I was there. So that counts basically. <laughs> I think my favorite <laughs> thing about that summer was when um, everyone was like obviously in delirium that he's about to go to Real Madrid. And it kind of, it, it took quite a long time for that transfer to go through. And there was like a couple of things that made the fan base crazy. One of them was that he was in a Lucas O'Dan in a Tottenham shirt. Um, another one was that he was in um, a FIFA advert in a Tottenham shirt. People were saying maybe he won't go. But my favourite thing ever was that he named his child Alba Violet Bale. I'm so like, glad you mentioned he's named, this. He's named his, <laughs> his child after AVB. There's no way he's going to leave us. <laughs> he's, named, he's actually given the initials AVB. Those are great times, man. And obviously, oh, yeah. we did what we had to do. We did what we had to do. We had to get through it. Tom, um, what's your favourite Bale girl? <laughs> Well, on like Bale Memories, weirdly, I also have a daughter called Alba. And he named his daughter Alba before moving to Spain. And Alba is like literally Sarah in Spain or like Claire or something. It's really common, which is kind of weird that he did that before he went. But like my, um, as is often the case, my memory is terrible of individual games. Um, I was at a lot of games in those AVB uh, in the AVB season and yeah, throughout when throughout Bale's first run. And it was it's just the general vibe of being in the South Stand and when he got the ball and started to run, mm. uh, the kind of excitement and the kind of hearing the seats as everyone stood up in the in the South Lower um as he kind of ran ran towards you. And yeah, and just that whole journey of like him starting as a fucking left back and becoming the best player in the league and then the best player in the world. And I think, you know, obviously I don't hold massive grudges when players move abroad to massive teams, to be honest. I was always proud to see him, like, smashing it. The same with Luca as well, with Modric. Like, it was so good to have a part in, in his story. Yeah, I feel so, like, I do feel really blessed to have seen Bale. And because we don't, we're not a club that wins very much these days. We have to kind of take what we can get. But actually, what we were given with Gareth Bale was really beautiful, wasn't it? You know, I think think, we saw so much glory with him. Spurs is a club of moments, right? It's about tragic moments, amazing moments. You savour those moments. You move on from those moments. Bale or gave not, us, if you're us. Yeah, or you <laughs> cling to them bitterly for decades. Mm-hmm. Bale gave us just so many amazing moments. He was a moments footballer, right? And I think in because of that and because of what Tom mentioned about that journey that we went on, which I think is another thing that Tottenham do a very good job in. We're very good at taking these players on these epic quests with us from, you know, rags to riches almost. And we watch them go through these evolutions and, you know, whatever it is, good or bad in the case of, you know, perhaps someone like Delhi. I think he just felt like such a like classic Tottenham Hotspur hero, didn't he? And in so many ways, he's just like pure Spurs. And even down to the sort of returning hero narrative arc that he sort of lived out as well a couple of years ago, like everything about him screams Tottenham. And yeah, just super proud that he's he's one of ours. Really am. 
Yeah, and I'm talking of things which could be a whole podcast episode in themselves. I think he's the um, the best British player of all time. So to say that the best British player of all time played for Tottenham, I think it's a pretty cool thing. So yeah, up, up Gareth Bale. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like we're, we should just all make his like heart celebration right now. Well, I'm doing it anyway, so <laughs> oh, they're all doing it. This is nice. We're all massive dreams. I love you guys. <laughs> okay, now that like we've taken some time to appreciate Gareth Bale, um, just do a quick women's team update. So they've had their sort of um, break and now we're back in action on Saturday. We're away at Aston Villa. Um, so I'm very excited because obviously we signed Beth England and I'm extremely thrilled to see what is going to happen with her. Also slightly nervous because actually Villa seem to have been making all the signings that I wish we were making. So they signed Rachel Daly in the summer and now they've got um, Jordan Nobbs from Arsenal um, and they just signed somebody else from United as well, which is really frustrating. Might be all right. Jordan Nobbs has a terrible injury record. So sorry, Jordan, but hopefully that continues. Um, but it does seem, I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? It's a really good thing for the league, but I also wished we had snuffled a couple of those, a couple of those players. But either way, I'm psyched to see Beth England. So I think that's just the main thing, really. Let's it's amazing it and that we get something out of it. We've gone out, identified the major issue with the team mm-hmm. and spent more than anyone in the league has ever spent on trying to remedy that issue, right? So that, you know, there are lots of problems with Spurs women, as as you particularly have spoken about, Rosa. But if we can't get excited about Tottenham smashing a transfer record to sign an England international striker, there's not much point us, you know, bothering. So fingers crossed that sort of sparks some life back into the season because... Well, it's it really been pretty needed grim, it. isn't it? Like <laughs> I was doing the tweets um on the Hometown Glory uh Twitter account, like the 22 pictures to capture the year last year, and like finding anything for Spurs women. I felt really bad that we only did like three or four, but I kind of sought assurances from some other people and they told me, no, don't worry, there literally hasn't been anything of any <laughs> any no. I feel like that's okay, happened. you know, because we're yeah. we're we're on the up and it's not, yeah. you know, it's just not gonna be equivalent yet. And I think yeah. just having a player like Ash Neville for the last year has been enough, really. Like again, Completely. it's something if like you have to cherish the moments and the players that you have. And if we get another one in Beth England, that will be well hopefully you know, she should she should now. benefit ash more than anyone right because yeah. it feels like often neville has to do everything by herself and she's you know crossing the ball and then trying to run over to the other side of the pitch to get on the end of her crosses almost so finally now she'd have she's got someone on the same wavelength that is of a similar if not even higher quality so i can't wait to see how she does and you know she's not like 34 either she's 28 no, she's, and yeah she exactly entering you know her prime so it's really exciting who've, who've we got next rosa what's the first game that's villa oh it is villa yeah. okay yeah oh, yeah Christ. so that's the thing it is that sort of clash i mean it oh. is a it is a proper like head-to-head game like this is just kind of seeing who yeah because we are sort of fighting in that sort of middle bit of the table basically mm. so it it will be it, it will be tough but Hopefully we'll get something out of it. Um, let's move on to culture quickly, shall we? Um, Tom, what have you been up to these last few days? 
Uh, I caught up on films that we previously touched on. I went to see Matilda and everyone, you and Billy were totally right. The the Tim Minchin songs are so, so good. The the girl playing Matilda was incredibly good and cute. Emma Thompson, you couldn't barely tell it was Emma Thompson. She was great. Um, yeah, I loved it. And my six-year-old loved it. Uh, Glass Onion was great, Bill. Um, man, really, yeah, man. Well, really yeah. liked it. Like what an ensemble cast. Um, Kate Hudson was great. Leslie, did you, Tom, can I quickly ask, did you like it as much as the first one? Uh, yeah, I think I did. I think like it was trying, like it was obviously trying to make this point about like rich billionaires and kind of this be, be a parable, but I thought it mostly worked and Janelle Monáe was excellent in it. She was. And, like Daniel Craig is a bit annoying, isn't he? Oh, Okay. Controversial title. Oh, okay. I think he's brilliant in that. I may, right. maybe I'm sort of I'm like obsessed. There's a whole there's a fashion blog that I read, and they like picked out one of it, like his amazing like poolside outfit. Oh, the blue and white stripey yeah. one. <laughs> As I like one yeah, I was trying to Google. I was trying to Google where you could might be able to buy that, <laughs> and it turns <laughs> out that they uh, they had they they it was a custom thing they designed yeah. and made for him. Uh, and it was inspired by a Sinatra outfit from a uh, Frank Sinatra movie in the 60s, because of because of course it was. But he's also wearing, which is a detail that I didn't notice, he's wearing peep-toe slingbacks in that as well, Ooh. which is just like, you know, <laughs> de- I, like, I love that. I just, they didn't need to do any of that, but they really, really went for it. I did not like it as much as the first one. I also I agree with say. you. I, I sort of then worried that I was, sort of being a bit of a Scrooge and overthinking it. And actually I should have just enjoyed it for what it was, which in retrospect, I've sort of enjoyed it more because I gave myself a bit of a talking to that. I was being like, it's fun and it's silly and it's a great way to spend a couple of hours in front of the telly. I think that's, it's not going to win anything or anything like that. Yeah, I think I think that's what I was kind of hinting at in that like, it's trying to make some serious points maybe about like Elon Musk and, um, billionaires destroying beautiful things. As, you know, there's a very uh, <laughs> obvious uh, conclusion to to it. Um, and there kind of aren't big shocks, although it's a murder mystery. I don't know. There aren't massive surprises. But I just thought it was loads of fun and it's not the usual kind of thing I watch. And it was yeah. probably, all, as well, it was probably a bit long for, but actually, <laughs> like, it's two hours 20 and... Um, often I won't even start a film that's two hours 20 but it was loads of fun anyway and finally um I hate Susie too uh Billy Piper and Lucy Preble um Lucy Preble wrote it and she's one of the succession writers obviously you know we stand uh succession on this podcast um and this was the second series of Billy Piper playing a potentially the playing herself to a certain extent playing a former child star called Susie and I don't want to say too much else but it's just incredibly good and visceral and Billy's so good and it's also so funny and it's on like Sky and now like really stuck with me that final episode I actually um as embarrassing as it is to admit I actually had a nightmare that was basically sparked by that last episode and I haven't had a nightmare in like I haven't even had a dream in ages because I'm just so tired now. I just sort of collapse and wake up at, you know, 6am and go again. But I had like a nightmare that I woke up like quite rattled by. And um, yeah, re- her performance just really, really has like stayed with me. And 
it's you, properly sort of provocative in so many ways that series it's incredible writing and her performance needs to hoover up like absolutely everything going she's outrageously good billy you like me also have kind of worked in the worlds depicted so like there's a crossover of kind of press and showbiz and music mm. and tv and it is unnervingly accurate in some of that portrayal. And I saw someone say that, like, there's the ghosts of Amy Winehouse and Caroline Flack are kind of hang over the whole thing, which I think is probably true. Um, but it's also much funnier than that would suggest and kind of quite fun in parts, as well as being, like, dark and shocking. Anyway, yeah. so good. It's so good. Despite me talking about my nightmares like I'm six, it's really, really, really not all that bad you should definitely watch it and watch the first series first because that's more sort of fleshed out isn't it the sort of second season is they're almost like Christmassy specials in a way because there's only three episodes and it's definitely not like a throwaway Christmas thing but the first season definitely start there if you're going to watch it which you definitely 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 should it's amazing we can handle the terror anyway. We're Tottenham. It's yeah, all good. It's fine. How um, did Tottenham not give me nightmares, by the way? That should be the first port of call. I'm actually amazed they don't because they do give me nightmares, genuinely. <laughs> I've I've dreamt about like losing games, all that shit, and woken up and been really relieved. And then also sometimes like, oh no, that really did happen. That was just me reliving it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlie, what have you been consuming? Um, I was going to talk about Glass Onion. I was going to talk about I Hate Susie. I'll mention very briefly how much I liked uh, Banshees of Insurin, um, partly because yes, of the incredible knitwear on show, which again, I immediately looked up to see if I could buy any of Colin Farrell's incredible jumpers and cardigans. All handmade for him, bespoke, really annoying. Like. Her amazing yellow coat, I really oh. coveted as well. Um, yeah, I like, I'm really thrilled that, like, in the sort of dying days of 2022, I like doubled my film viewing because <laughs> I watched Glass Onion and Banshees, and I love that. I mean, I found it very stressful viewing, to be honest. I, I sort of forgot what he does, where the sort of first half kind of builds up slowly, and you're like, okay, this is kind of, you know slow and a bit quirky and slightly dark there's an edge to it and then all of a sudden in like the second half it just goes, gets very 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 yeah, bleak. yeah. and I you're like this is thing, a, this is quite frightening and the thing that i think i thought it was good. wonderful it's i yeah again i'm sure it's going to be in for a bunch of awards um our man barry who we all love oh, an heartbreaking barry. devastating performance yeah um i thought that what he does that's very good, oh, Barton, is these sort of awful situations unfold, but it's still sort of studded with enough humour and enough sort of completely mad things that you're watching that there's relief there, whether it be humour or absurd situations, that it's not kind of unrelentingly white-knuckle the whole way through. I think it's he's very good at breaking the pace up and giving you a, a tiny bit of respite here and there. Just a really beautiful film and thought the music was stunning and, as I said, the outfits were incredible. Um, and underlined to me that Colin Farrell is, like, vastly underrated, I think. like I just think he's Definitely. so watchable. Yeah. Billy, I don't know, you're our sort of go-to movie guy. I don't know your feelings on big, big Colin, but... Just, I, I'm, I was going back and looking at his sort of filmography and everything he's in, even if it's a terrible film, he's just sort of leaps out the screen. And I just think we don't really hold him in the right esteem almost. 
Yeah, man. And that's what I was going to talk about, actually, just after you mentioned those things. So uh, it's like basically hotting up the Oscars race right now. Um, there's a couple of good, if you're in, into it as much as I am, like um, the Big Picture podcast, which is a ringer podcast, is like pretty much every other week doing like some kind of update on the Oscars races, um, the big ones at the moment. So my two guys, one and two, are leading the charge. Like all the, a lot of the like serious Oscar films, like Tar, which is an amazing film, um, which is about to come out in England, and uh, The Fablemans by Steven Spielberg, like massively flopped box office wise. So the lead in the charge at the moment are Everything Everywhere at Once, which is now like moved into number one favorite by quite a big way, and Banshees of Inisherin. Um, I like that's I had a real push the last few weeks. Um, but the race that I'm interested, the two races that I'm really interested in are Best Actor and Best actress um i would love michelle yo to win best actress but she's not going to because um kate blanchett in tar is unbelievable and she will definitely definitely win but the big one is colin farrell versus austin butler who is elvis um and at the moment a lot of the a lot of the, the vibe is going with colin farrell so i'm really invested in him winning best picture so yeah man I, I, if, you, if you're into the oscars race and the big picture podcast is really good um, I would lo- absolutely love him to win Best Actor for that because I think he's outstanding. Um, and he's had like a really, really good year as well. He's in a, he's a Penguin in Batman and he's also in um, another film, which I forget the name of. But um, yeah, he's just a man. I would absolutely love him to win Best Actor. So that's my my new vibe at the moment is everything everyone wants Best Picture and Colin Farrell for Best Actor. That's my vibe. I have such a love-hate relationship with the Oscars where I just, I like despise them and have like, you know, vendettas going years back of like movies that didn't win that should have won and actors and actresses that didn't win that should have won to the point where now I'm like if some if something wins the Oscar I'm like it's obviously self-evidently terrible but then I'm also obviously obsessed with who wins it every year so yeah and it's a really interesting race this year because all of the like serious Oscar bait films like Tar, Babylon, um, Fableman, Steven Spielberg's film have all bombed at the box office massively. Um, and the two, the three films that are getting massive buzz are Top Gun Maverick, Avatar, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, which all did incredibly well at the box office. Like, so like they've got this massive decision to make. Like, do they go with the, like the classic Oscars serious story dramas, or do they go like the popular vote? Um, and there's like everything everywhere all at once is like massively ahead in the race at the moment. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. But like even Top Gun Maverick getting nominated for Best Picture is mental, but um, it's well-deserved as well. Yeah, it's great, right? I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but I really, I've been meaning to for ages. Just didn't, you know, in all my busy film viewing, it just didn't quite make the list. Um, I feel like, yeah, I would love Michelle Yeoh to win the Oscar. It, I also really love Kate Blanchett. But, yeah, you have to see Tar. Like yeah. she is at, when it comes out, she is unbelievable. In that. Like she will definitely, definitely win. Like it's not even. A, yeah, they love her. A, That's it's not even a race. Got... Idea. She's that in that film. Uh, hasn't Kate Blanchett won know. about six already? Surely Kate Blanchett's won. Like, Meryl levels. She hasn't. You know, I don't even. I'm not sure she's even. No, she's got one, two. One, she's got two. Yeah, I think Aaron, she wins. Surely. I think if she got... wins again, which she will, then she'll be the. I think she'll have the most of any living. I might, that might be wrong, but I she's think... She's got one Best Actress and one Best Supporting. Yeah, I mean, she's about to get two, but she will definitely win Best Actress, so she's about to have two, but um, you have to you have to see that film because it is unbelievable. Uh, did you like Elvis? I like... I, li- I, I, liked Oscar, I liked Austin Butler in it. I thought he was amazing. I thought it was way too long. I didn't like the Tom Hanks stuff, but it did make me a little bit obsessed with Elvis' song afterwards, to be honest. I, I, can't really, was... I can't really deal with Baz Luhrmann, to be honest, in, in any of his sort of like, I love Strictly Ballroom and I love Romeo and Juliet and everything after that I've just found exhausting and too much. 
I think the I whole Tom Hanks yeah. thing was so misguided. Like it just like it was like a sort of comedy character type. Thing. Why? Why was it through his lens as well? And I don't why, get why is why... that accent like just took me out the whole thing? Why, when you've got one of the most like interesting sort of music stars that's ever lived, do you make your seventy-two hour film like through the prism of his weird manager? I don't understand why that was the way that Lerman approached that movie at all. And also, I agree, Rosa. It just felt, I just felt like clobbered around the head with just how exhausting. I'd forgotten how exhausting Baz Luhrmann movies can feel like. And also, just that you're watching like a really long music video and that there's not really a narrative or anything to like cling to. It's just you're being just assaulted visually. And after a while, all the tricks and how, you know, vivid and spectacular it looks just sort of loses impact yeah I, we we gave up halfway through actually it's such a shame because you know like strictly ballroom is such a lovely gentle film in so many ways and even romeo and juliet although it has that sort of those sort of big set pieces it still is kind of very dreamy and romantic mm. and it's just like he just went oh you know what i'm actually not interested in any of that stuff i just want to do like big shouty things and that's just so that's shouty not my vibe not my that vibe to be so honest shouty. yeah um guys do you have anything else before i just quickly do my bits i'm gonna very quickly just shout out um happy valley which is um yes, back, but, and it's yeah. just the best thing i think it's genuinely one of the best english tv shows ever made mm-hmm. um and the third series like they do this thing where they have like this side story and like every year it's amazing and like it literally take like one minute of that side story to be like yeah i'm in i'm hooked already it's like yeah take me in it um so yeah it's just like back and better than ever it seems like so i think out, happy valley if there's anything, and this is no spoilers, if there's anything that captures why Happy Valley is so great and so sort of uniquely great, it's the fact that the that sort of lowest speed car chase or car tracking that happened in the episode from Sunday night felt so like tense and terrifying when you're just watching these two cars trundling down a sort of northern motorway. And yet it feels like you're watching speed or something. It's just... I don't know how Sally Wainwright just, I mean, it's partly her. I think it's part of Sarah Lancashire is just, I mean, ridiculous, ridiculous absolutely ridiculous, man. Yeah, they have this amazing, like, they've just kind of found each other, haven't they? Like, writer, star is perfect. I'm very stressed out, and I have to believe that Sally would not do me like this. But why have they got her talking about retirement in the very first episode? We've all seen television and movies before, don't do this to us. I'm I'm still not over what happened at the end of Unforgotten. For those of you who remember how that show went down. Queen Bitter. Yeah. So I just I can't I can't have any of this. And I I don't think she'll do it. It is the last she, I think season, she'll survive. Isn't it? Yeah. It's the last one in the trilogy. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be stressed until the final seconds, basically. It's just brilliant. I love how seriously it takes like sort of specifically male violence and kind of patterns of violence and how hard it is for people to climb up out of that and away from it and you know what happens to kind of poorer communities are just it's so kind of it's done with such care isn't it really and such kind of consideration and mm. everybody in it is just kind of doing their best work that it's yeah. I don't like I wouldn't kind of call it a joy to watch but you feel sort of 
privileged to it's rare see it, that I guess. you watch I think you watch something and the quality and like you say the care and the the sort of love that all the actors seem to feel for the show that they're really like pouring everything into every single scene and it all seems so considered and quite natural because it feels like you know much like Sarah Lancashire she seems born to play that role and it feels like all of them like that's exactly who they should be playing on TV right now they it's just so perfectly cast and Billy's right the little side stories are always so well observed and feel quite timely always and even if they're quite preposterous which they often are um yeah just such good telly and something that the BBC does so well I think you know and I don't feel like you could see that on any other channel or streaming service particularly or even country it sort of makes me feel weirdly proud to be British for once yeah it's a very northern thing so I mean yeah. I'm sure you couldn't, you couldn't do be... an American you couldn't do an American version of Happy Valley like yeah. no it's, I don't think so, so they probably tried right yeah they probably have but it's so um, English love it but they're on to the third attempt to make peep show over there so I wouldn't put it Put Happy Valley past them to <laughs> Yeah, we just we want an American to come and buy our club, but that's it. Can I just tell you one of my favorite things about Happy Valley, which is that Sally Wainwright did. Did anybody watch her um show about the Brontes? It was on like, no. on, like several years ago now. But so the girl who played Anne Bronte, who's a, my personal favorite Bronte sister is in Happy Valley and is the one who was kidnapped in the first season and then became a police officer and now is engaged or married to her son, is it? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. her. So I just like, so she's kind of taken that actress with her, which I think is just really cool. Is she and you called know, they, Anne? Is she called Anne in the show? I've got, yeah, she is, right? Yeah, I think she is. And, and you know, they waited so long in the series because she wanted it to be about the son, like, growing up a bit more. So, like, that's why they waited, like, seven years. And they, like, gambled on the fact that he'd actually be a decent actor when he grew up. And, <laughs> and he's, like, he's been really good so far. So, yeah, definitely paid they off. They could have just done, like, a Martin Fowler and just recast yeah. him. So yeah, they're, like, 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 uh, uh, no, like, like a kind of boyhood Boyhood, yeah. Better than Boyhood. Um, much more watchable than Boyhood. Oh, but. I liked Boyhood. I'm a really big Ethan Hawke and Patricia Arquette fan, though. So it sort of worked for me. And I just like that vibe. Yeah, it's another podcast for another time. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, my like my sort of final recommendation for this week is another podcast, and it's one of the ESPN 30 for 30 pods and it's called pink card and it's in four parts and it came out in december and it's by this iranian american woman and it's about um female football fans in iran and like one of whom is her mum, and they left her whole family left iran after the 79 revolution but she kind of follows so she talks to her mother and she talks to these other women who have been kind of trying to watch football over the past sort of 40 years and various terrible things have happened. You know, some of them have died and some of them are now kind of living in other countries. And it kind of, she thought, cause she started it, she started doing it like three years ago. And then obviously as she was kind of coming to the end of it, the sort of current uprising started. And so it's kind of an amazing thing to listen to because towards the end she's like oh this is going on now and she kind of calls her mother and she's like mum there's a revolution happening in Iran right now and her mum's like oh I'm like off to play football right now so it's just it's not 
it's not like a kind of perspective. It's not what, like one of those things where you kind of take a moment and you go, you know, our football club is not important in the context of what's happening in the world. It's more this feeling that you get listening to that football is something that kind of ties us all together and is something that we kind of share with so many people all over the world. And it is really, and it's meaningful to lots of people all over the world. And it is a reminder as well that women in Iran have just been have been fighting for their freedom for a really 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 long time and it isn't just something that's happened recently so and I admire those women those young women and girls I think more than anybody else in the world I'm just in absolute awe of their courage and it's a beautiful thing to hear about their sort of predecessors and the women who perhaps have given them the courage to do what they're doing right now so I think that's probably, that's just kind of one of the best things I've listened to in the last, I don't know how long really. So I would, it's not, you know, the podcasts aren't long, it's four parts. I would really urge everyone to listen to it if you kind of love football, care about other people. That's what we all do, right? Wow. That is a recommendation, Rosa. Thank you. You're very welcome. I really like that genuinely is like a true recommendation as well. Like I really feel like people should definitely listen to it. So, and this is the audience, this is the right audience for it though. I, really I feel, feel bad that. now for recommending a podcast about the Oscars race. <laughs> but see, all of these things are important, you know? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Maybe That's the not. whole point. Maybe not anymore. <laughs> um, thanks so much, guys. This has been just lovely as ever. And I really hope that when we meet again, it's all going to be all right and not the end of the world. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's the best I could do right now. Um, Billy, what is it that they say on your other favourite podcast? Um, it is, it'll be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Um, but when the North London derby comes along, let's just pray, 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 pray. Up the Spurs. I feel sick.